0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Canadian jazz leader, composer, and bassist Jesse Diaci. He opened up about his new 2023 CD called Gradient and his life in music. This international touring and recording jazz artist is a top-call extra musician with both the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and Canadian Opera Company. On this project, he is joined by pianist Ewan Farcombe and drummer Ethan Ardelli on compositions that draw from his extensive training in both jazz and orchestral fields to create lush and colorful auditory narratives exploring a wide range of emotional responses we cover this project his collective life and music and so much more enjoy
1: hey jesse what's up man hey how's it going joe good to see you (laughs) nice to meet you how's life uh not too bad not too bad yeah just uh uh kind of chugging along here um actually my uh my wife and i are expecting our first child in probably a few weeks so we're (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right on
0: congratulations yeah I rem- thank you I remember that
1: yeah yeah so well, it's yeah
0: yeah I, I i remember yeah it's it's quite a time you got to get the, the <laughs> whole map to the hospital down and mm-hmm. keep all of the le Mans things in mind it's the whole yep. thing
1: it's the whole thing that's for sure so you know we've been checking a lot off the to-do list and just kind of grinding that through happy to get the album out uh on friday last friday uh it was released so you know we're just kind of checking things off the list and uh and getting ready so uh but it's great to to get to sit down and chat with you here for sure
0: absolutely so you're gonna have a libra up my birthday is actually (laughs) Funny enough, I was born on Friday the thirteenth, and this year is Friday the thirteenth. It took fifty years to get back here, but I am here. Right. So,
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs>
0: well, I am. I am excited to talk about the brand new album, Gradient. And before we get into it, you know, the COVID pandemic period really rocked the music world. How did yeah. you survive that three and a half years, and how did it change you?
1: You know, it was a uh, it was a real challenge, and and it. Uh, it it, it really evolved kind of as the situation changed. And I know um, kind of regionally it, it affected different parts of the, the continent differently uh, here in Toronto. We had some of the longest lockdown uh, measures in effect. So in terms of, of performances for the better part of those three years that, you know, at least the first year there was really nothing happening. Um, and then some group started trying to do, you know, the, the virtual thing uh, which worked with to a certain degree but um, we were very fortunate to also have some government support for artists. Uh, you know, th- it wasn't a, a ton, but it, it helped. Uh, and my my wife works through a hospital, so she was working from home uh, and and able to continue. So, you know, it it we made the best of it, um, and I'm very grateful for. Uh, the, the Canada Council for the Arts, which helped fund the creation of this project. A lot of those grants I wrote during the lockdown, because, you know, what else do you have to do? Yeah. Um, and so for me, it ended up being a period where I really got to dive in to a deep level of work that I probably wouldn't have been able to do otherwise, uh, just, you know, because you're busy if you're, you're gigging all the time and, you know, the hustle and bustle and whatnot. That was uh you know we really did make the best of it and and so I'm grateful for for some of those opportunities that I was able to kind of create through that period but yeah, I mean it was it was a, a very weird time, right? Like uh you know, what does it mean to be a musician if you're never performing uh yeah. and it w- it was actually through that period where I realized because I work so much as a side musician, I really had very little music to my own name that was visible to anyone online or or you know, through other other medium. So this project really was uh how I kind of tried to solve that it was it kind of gave me that inspiration to like you know get out there and actually get some of my music recorded get it out where people can listen to it and and see where it goes you know
0: and that answers a big question about artistically how this nexus of this project came together you know kind of how did this project how do you bring the trio in how how does it feel now with the world opening up the possibility of live music how does that combined feeling for you feel
1: you know, it's, it's, again, it's a, a real mixed, uh, it's a mixed bag because on the one hand, it's very exciting, of course, to get these opportunities, uh, re-emerging again to see the possibilities. Um, but it can be overwhelming, right? You, you almost got used to what it was like, even though, you know, I'm glad it's passed. Um, and then things, everyone was so eager to, to kind of hit the ground running once we were able that, you kind of got caught wrong footed a little bit, you know, and had to, you know, I was joking with someone the other day that, you know, we were at a gig and, and and we were joking that like, we forgot how to pack our instruments up because it had been (laughs) so long. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Um, And so, you know, it was even getting ready for this album. It was uh, I got the go ahead for, for the album right around the same time that I was actually added to the sub list for the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and they had some retirements and and things. So they needed bass players quite a bit. And so I was working almost nonstop through the whole period of preparing for the album. And part of me was like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) Here are these two excellent opportunities. And of course, after three years of doing nothing uh they're happening at exactly the same time right and so everything felt a little bit frantic and like suddenly you don't have enough time which is a really strange feeling after you know doing doing nothing so um you know it's uh it's it's really great i'm I'm great to i'm glad very grateful to see how the album has been circulated so far and the number of people who have been showing interest in it Um, you will have to see where it goes from there. Uh, the next stage would be book a tour. Uh, I think with a newborn kid at home, that might be a little (laughs) challenging, but at some point, you know, we'll look at doing that. So, you know, it's, it's really exciting. It, it, it makes it feel like, uh, the, the private work that I did over the last few years kind of meant something like it mattered right now we're out and getting to do, do the thing again. And, uh, and I'm seeing some positive results. So it's, it's really uplifting and uh, it makes me very optimistic.
0: So what are you hoping the listener gets from this album?
1: That is a very good question. Um, you know, my whole concept for for what I was trying to accomplish was bringing together my two musical uh, passions, my two kind of musical outputs that represent what I do with my career, with my time. And that, of course, is, you know, a modern jazz approach to improvising. Uh, and and uh you know how I how I play my instrument as well as uh, drawing from this kind of orchestral background and uh, a lot of the orchestral work that I've been doing and to use those elements of those two to create sort of a hybrid sound that balances the kind of spontaneity and excitement of of improvised music with, the sort of craftsmanship that you see in in a more orchestral or chamber music setting where you can really use composition to bring the the listener into places that may or may not happen if it was left entirely improvised. Uh, I feel like the two can complement each other. And I've tried a few different combinations of instruments and, and, and sizes of groups to do that. And I feel like this trio is really the kind of optimal setting. You know, the three of us can work together really, really well. And um, a larger group, you're a bit more restricted in the kind of spontaneity side of things. Um, but the other two musicians are also really tuned in to what we're trying to do, I think, and and have been willing to get pushed outside of the box a bit as jazz musicians uh, into more sort of chamber music aesthetics. And uh, I think the listener is going to sort of hear a very narrative arc to a lot of these tunes. Some of them have a fairly... Um, I wouldn't say obvious, but a predetermined kind of programmatic story that they're trying to tell. Others are a little bit more open-ended, and I hope that the listeners can create their own narrative in their mind in terms of what is happening, what story is being told. Um, Jazz musicians are always trying to tell a story with their solos, but I think by adding in uh, a a slightly more chamber-influenced composition style, I hope that they're going to hear that even more so that throughout the entire tune, they're going to hear a story arc. Uh, And I'm curious to hear people's take on uh, on the various tunes.
0: So how did this journey begin for you? You know, you're kind of a hybrid of jazz and classical. How did this journey into the music begin and how did it steamroll into this album and this jazz life?
1: So initially, I was uh, exclusively a jazz musician. That was certainly my my background. I grew up in uh, Winnipeg in central Canada and uh, very early on got kind of thrown into the gigging scene. I was still in high school playing with much older musicians, figuring out a lot of how to play the music and how to play the bass on my own. Um, and then once I started uh, university, I went to Brandon University, which is a, a small school again in Manitoba, where... I really got to rub shoulders with a lot of very, very high level classical musicians. Brandon is best known as the, the hometown of James Ennis, who's one of the world's leading violin soloists and actually his father, uh, who passed away not long ago, uh, was one of my academic supervisors. So it's a very, very small music community, but really kind of, um, hits above its uh, weight class in that regard. And, um, Through my involvement at that school, I got to start playing in the orchestra, doing a lot more chamber music and things that I had at that time minimal experience doing. And I was hooked right away. Uh, I just, it made so much sense in terms of the instrument getting to be amongst string players as a string player. You know, uh, in in the jazz context, bass players are rhythm section players and we have a certain identity from that. But the string player side is also uh, really valuable. And what I've found is over the years, the most rewarding. Uh, performing opportunities I've had have been things that sort of pull on both of those uh, backgrounds. So once I was finished school there, I moved to Toronto. It would have been about 2011. Um, I did the, U of, the University of Toronto uh, master's program in jazz performance, and I started working in in the city. And what I found was there was a bit of a limit to what I was able to accomplish on the orchestral side. Because I was a jazz musician and had yeah. more training than the average jazz musician, but I, you know, I had some, some holes that I needed to deal with. Uh, so I ended up going back to school that, that there's a program called the Glenn Gould school through the Royal Conservatory in Toronto uh, has a lot of ties to the, to the Toronto symphony. And so I studied there, did my two year artist diploma. So at that point I'd done a lot of school. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, kind of over the years since then, I've started working with a lot more of the kind of higher level orchestras in the city. Uh, and that kind of peaked in the last couple of years where I started playing with the Toronto Symphony very frequently, as well as the uh, the opera in town, the Canadian Opera Company, uh, and a few other professional orchestras in amongst the freelance uh, jazz work that I was doing. And I found that the two have really complemented each other. Um, certainly, they both have made me better as a bass player and yeah now now what i was trying to do is just kind of pull those two together and try to create almost a statement of like this is what i've been doing for the last you know 15 years or so
0: yeah uh, yeah so what was the first live jazz show that blew you away
1: Ooh, that is a very good question i mean i remember being early early high school uh you know, listening to shows, I kind of didn't even know who I was listening to. I remember the first time I was at a blues bar and I heard an, an upright bass player, a professional upright bass player. I was doing a bit of electric at the time, uh, and just seeing this guy how he navigated the instrument and and the instrument itself just really blew me away. Um, and as I started getting more and more into jazz, uh, I discovered Dave Holland. And actually, th- I discovered him through my older brother Ben, who's a saxophonist who was really into Chris Potter. And so he he did, this was right around the time of his famous quintet with Chris Potter and Robin Eubanks and and all of those guys. And so he gave me uh, Prime Directive, which is one of Dave's uh, studio albums, yeah. uh, as a, a Christmas present or whatever. And I had just never heard jazz played that way you know i had been kind of told what to listen to up to that point so i was you know studying my ray brown recordings and and listening to paul chambers and all the things you're supposed to do as a good little jazz student and Mm -hmm. and i loved it but hearing dave's quintet was like oh this is what people are doing now and that was so uh mind-blowing to me and then lo and behold i think a year or two later they actually came to winnipeg where i was and played at the jazz festival there and hearing that quintet live uh, was i still remember just being so taken aback at you know it, it was like i was hearing that favorite recording of mine but live in in the room um and just the energy and uh, i love the compositions i loved the way that dave kind of ran the the band his band leading skills in addition to you know, the way that he could just play the bass and sort of be that pin. I always thought of him as like a, you know, like a a tent pole holding down these, uh, you know, wild and crazy things going on around him and everything was held together because he was just this unwavering uh, steadfast uh, reference point for everything. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I was a huge Dave, I'm still a huge Dave Holland fan and that quintet holds a really special place for me in terms of uh, development and, and uh, who I am as a musician.
0: So you talk about this album being kind of the culmination of these 15 years of you being a professional. I'm curious in this whole road of being a professional musician, what do you like the best about it? What is mm-hmm. the aspect of it that you always look forward to the most?
1: Yeah, that is, man, I think uh, just getting to express myself through my instrument and that, you know, everyone likes a, a thing they can tinker with. Uh, and for me, the, the ability to spend more. Most of my time thinking about, about the bass and how I express myself through it and then getting out and demonstrating that in all of these different environments uh, is so rewarding for me. The versatility that the instrument allows me is really fun. I enjoy uh, getting to play with really high-level musicians of a whole wide Variety of of styles in different contexts in different rooms. You know the fact that it is always changing. Sometimes it can be stressful, um, but most of the time it's really exciting to just uh, get to collaborate with so many highly highly uh, skilled and creative individuals, and yet to feel like I bring something really unique and specific to the project. That's why they have me there. You know, you're never just a a faceless uh, name or something like that. You're you're there for a reason, um, so I, I have a, I take a lot of pride in that, and um, and then hearing the end result when you combine all of these uh, skilled people together, and you know the the sum is greater than uh, the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You know, uh, I think that remains something that I always uh, really enjoy and, and find fulfilling. So, why do you love jazz? Hmm. To me, jazz is. Um, a combination of highly prepared uh, expert material with the the sort of frantic, uh, ha- uh, energizing risk taking of of improvising. So you know there's an element of knowing you're going to hear something great, but you never know exactly what you're going to hear. And you are watching someone take risks live in front of you, in front of an audience. Um, there's not a lot of people who can who are willing to do that. Um, even if they could have the skills to do it, and and many people can, um, the idea of getting up in front of people and not you know starting a tune and not knowing how you're going to end it that was one of those things that always blew the minds of my uh, orchestral colleagues. That they just couldn't handle that. It takes a certain type of person to to not only be willing to do that, but to actually enjoy doing that. Um, and As a player, certainly once you get to the point where you feel like you can confidently do that, it just really opens up uh, so many new possibilities that you could never come up with alone on your, you know, by yourself with a pen and paper. Uh, There's something about the energy of being surrounded by people who are also willing to take risks like that. Uh, It's really exciting as a musician. It's really exciting as an audience member, Uh, whether it's live or on recording, it's just, you know. There are, there are a few styles of music that are actually better live than in the studio. You know what yeah. I
0: mean? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that was Sonny's thing. You know, Sonny Rollins mm-hmm. always wanted to get out there live. A lot of a lot of people do. There's just a feel to it. It makes more sense. Um Absolutely. So at the end of the day, everyone has a perception of you. Your family, friends, fans, hmm. but you ultimately run the show. What's your perception of yourself? Who do you think you are?
1: Ooh, there's a difficult question to answer. That's
0: the Um, therapy question.
1: (laughs) You know, I think, um, probably one of my strengths that is not something I earned. It's just kind of the way I am, but just kind of maintaining, it's the classic bass player thing of just being super even keel pretty much all the time. Like I don't tend to get super excited, but I also don't get super down on anything. I just sort of, you know, keep everything sort of in that happy medium space. Um, and, uh, You know, I try to apply that obviously in working contexts. I think it's really important, but I also think personally, uh, you know, I try to be that sort of, um, you know, kind of person who regulates things and kind of keeps keeps everyone on the same page, keeps everybody happy. And uh, sometimes it comes at a bit of personal cost, but, uh, you know, I think it's worth it in the end. So I hope that that comes across to other people. I would say that uh, most would would agree with that. But yeah, you know, I uh, I try to just just take it easy and go with the flow most of the time. But also know when I need to step in and and try to make some stuff happen and and try to just not get too worked up about anything and just just you know keep it cool.
0: You're totally right. When I think about all the bass players that I know, there's a level of you guys epitomize exactly what you are. You guys are always in rhythm yeah
1: <laughs> yeah you don't want the bass player gets too amped up right because right. there's going to be a crash at some point that's a problem you just uh, just keep it right in the middle you know nice yeah, and easy. exactly
0: well yeah. you wouldn't want that bass player even in a rock band to have to hoist up that bass and smash it on the ground it's just too big <laughs> it would be too magnanimous
1: yes yeah and they're too expensive yeah Right. <laughs> exactly well, mm-hmm. hey,
0: man, if anyone wants to pick up the new album, learn more about you, live shows, anything that's going on, where can they go?
1: So for for the album, uh, anyone looking to purchase it, I'm doing it all through Bandcamp, so I'm pretty easy to find. You can just search my name, Jesse Dietchi, at Bandcamp, or the, the URL is jessiedicci.bandcamp.com, and you can either download the, the MP3s or you can uh, buy a physical copy, if anyone still does that and has a CD player uh in terms of streaming it's on most of the streaming services it's on spotify it's on apple music uh deezer and a lot of the other ones so if you've got a subscription to one of them uh, take a, a search for jesse dhe trio and you'll find it uh, and in terms of upcoming performances and more information about the album they can go to my website jesse Uh a quick google search it's a pretty unusual name you'll probably find me
0: yeah, for sure. Jesse, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Best of luck with fatherhood and the birth and everything that comes forward. It's a great ride, man.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning into to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Toronto, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Jesse for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews? You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.